0: Hey Carl this is Dwayne you know from Mondays hey hey man I just want to say congratulations on uh, your five
1: your order? hang on
0: I already told you man I want 10 chicken burger cheese bean steak burrito chimney tacos with extra hot sauce so hey 500 shows you rock Carl I want to be just Would like you like so
1: cinnamon twist today
0: no just give me my damn chimmy tacos man. I'm I'm on the phone here.
2: Jeez, Carl, these guys should take a class Got in agile. you doing in an apple poop. No. Thanks. So, Carl,
0: I want to talk to you about my magic burrito.
2: 500th show, Richard. My goodness gracious. (laughs) I can't believe it. No, I'm kind of amazed. This show is not going to be like the 400th show. Uh, We had fun in the 400th show. Uh, But the listeners didn't, (laughs) arguably. Uh, We had more fun on the 100th show. Yeah, we did
0: did have a lot of fun in the 100th
2: show. And this one's going to be more like that. Okay. So what we've done is we've hand-selected some clips from the last 100 shows. And we're going to intersperse them with our friends and our listeners and uh, past guests sort of wishing us well. Uh, does that explain the car crash at the beginning of the show? That does indeed okay. explain the car crash. Dwayne is, he well, he's a fan. Yeah. He's a huge fan. It's true. He's a stalker, actually. <laughs> That's
0: an interesting line you have to cross sometimes.
2: Some of, uh, I think some of my favorite shows, Richard, when I think back to the last hundred shows, have been ones we've done at live conferences.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree.
2: The panel discussions, the, um, just ones that we've been sitting in front of an audience, having an audience there, uh, I think it adds a little bit of a dynamic to the show that we don't get when we're just on the phone.
0: Absolutely, it, it changes. Well, you have the audience react to the conversation, and I think it affects ultimately the direction the conversation goes in.
2: Yeah. So this first clip we'll play is uh, Uncle Bob, Bob Martin, which we did in uh, 2008 at Ordev in Malmo, Sweden, and we were talking about. Well, we we're talking about a lot of things. What makes good programmers? Um, apprenticeships. Well, let's just roll it. You know who makes the best
0: programmers? Is
3: yeah. musicians. Thank you very much, my friend, the musician. For some reason, that seems to be a a strong correlation. If you have musical talent, uh, it turns into some kind of software talent. Well,
2: it's been a long time since we talked about this on Donner Rock, so I may as well give my theory again (laughs) because a lot of people have theories. Uh, You know, there's—it's obvious the the correlation between math and music is there. Yes. And then the abstraction of music as a as an art form—it's very—it doesn't exist, just like software doesn't exist. And then, but I, th- I tend to think that the skill of learning an instrument has a lot to do with both being very technical mm. and being able to zoom down into a low level to, to work on very technical minutiae, and then being able to present a presentation at, at a larger scope, at a 60,000 foot view. And so the ability to sort of zoom in and out like that is something that we're doing all the time as as software developers.
3: I mean, this, the symphony is made of individual notes, and every right. every individual note is important, and, and you it must see all fit the layers at its places. Yes, and, yeah. and and you know, a piece of software, the lines of code, and the, the processes and the operations all have to take place at just the yeah. the right time. So yeah, uh, I I think it's a, a very interesting that we have not been treating software as an art as much as we've been trying to teach it as a, an engineering discipline. Well, yeah. and, then, and there's a big part of software that does seem very engineering-like, too. I, sure.
0: You, I can equate a program to a bridge in the sense that ah. it can be beautiful. It can be better, you know, but a bridge but is first, it must carry cars across the river. Yeah. Ah. You must know, there's have. <laughs> the two different sides of actually doing the work and then you know, doing the work well or doing the work elegantly. Mm.
2: Hmm. Yeah, very true.
0: So, uh, where do you fall on that, Bob? I mean, is, isn't it engineering as well? It is certainly it's engineering,
3: both. but, but it's, it is not strictly engineering. Okay, and in right. fact, there is no strictly engineering anything, right? Yeah. All, all things used by people have to be um, well designed yeah. to fit into their environment, but they also have to be beautiful. Yeah. And this notion of beauty, this notion of artistry, of craftsmanship. Yeah, a, a value to elegance. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. And especially in the end product, I mean, which is <laughs> something that is uh, just beginning to be important, I think, in the software world. You know, the whole idea of design, of user experience, and all of this stuff. Yep. It's always been important, but not to us as developers. <laughs> Most of the time, we've been satisfied with Battleship Gray. Mm. Or our bosses have, anyway. But I, the, one of the reasons I got into programming was because it could satisfy both halves of my brain. Both the you know the left and the right half, because I am a musician,
3: mm. you know now the other, other interesting correlation is is the correlation with art, martial arts interesting, uh, and there seems to be a, a lot of programmers who have been tied into martial arts sometimes. interesting uh, and, yeah. and so you wind up with um, the notion of learning software development from a master and the master. Uh, is Hmm. the sensei. And the sensei tells the the juniors what to do without necessarily explaining exactly everything. Hmm. And bit by bit, uh, they learn from the master the practices and the disciplines. One of the things I've been doing uh, over the past several years is writing uh, kata, uh, software kata. These are... um, uh, Things that you practice, little bits of software that you write over and over and over again. Is that again. a Japanese term? It is. Uh, kata, for example, uh, if you're taking karate, uh, you will learn a set of moves. And your instructor will not even explain what these moves are about. Yeah. He'll just say, okay, you move this way, exercises. you move that way. They're exercises. They're etudes. They're scales yeah. that you might yeah. play on a on an instrument. Something that you do repeatedly over and over mm. again to hone your skills. Mm. Uh, In the case of these software kata, they're silly things like, Mm. you know, do the bowling game, do prime factors, do something else. But do it over and over again in a certain way Mm. to hone your skills, the way you use your IDE, the way you use the the code you're writing, the decisions you make each time along, so that when you face those problems in real life, your muscle memory is what is driving it. But isn't there
0: also an element there of of coming up with doing the, the bowling game? the best possible way, and that each time the language changes out from under you, you do it again. You know, yep, like, of course. That reflex course. I have when a new language is in front of me to build
2: the CRUD app. Of course. I, f- yeah. I find there's value in just taking what skills you have and giving it an old college try and then finding out what went wrong, learning from your mistakes, and then seeing how you can improve next time. There's a lot of value in mm. that. And when I first started developing, uh, one of the things that really got me going was having a a goal, an end software project in mind that was beyond my scope. Mm. And on every day I worked for that goal, and you know, it was difficult, but by the time I got through it, I, I thought, well, you know, if I only had known what now, you know, then what I know now, going through the process.
3: And isn't that interesting? And I then mean, I we do it again. We are constantly trying to stretch our... Abilities. So yeah. you start out as a junior programmer, and you think, oh, thank God I wrote that one function. I, I'm a programmer now. Yeah. And you get, you get to a middle la- level, and you realize you've written an entire subsystem, and the whole subsystem uh, works well in your environment. And finally you achieve some kind of uh, very senior status, master status, and uh, you, have, you have been the driver on an entire system, and you have yeah. coordinated a team. We, um, we do things in a funny way in our industry. Uh, uh, there's a new project that needs to be done, and some manager will say, um, yeah, you, 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 and you, team, go build it. Yeah. And the way to do that well instead would be to find a master, mm. someone who has built a system, and right. have that master then go and gather a team around him yeah. or her and, and build the project that way. Mm. Uh, we don't do enough of this... Um, personal training, master-to-student training. they like a coaching model. of A, a coaching sure model, better, a craftsmanship right. model, you know. an apprenticeship model. Sure. Uh, it, that would be a better way to bring people into the... I,
0: it's, it's something I said just recently, that it, 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 I don't feel like we have a good apprenticeship program for software development right now. We, we
3: don't. Right. We school. throw programmers into a room and throw meat in and hope that, code comes out. Yeah. yeah. A pizza. Pizza. Exactly. Well, pizza, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Pizza and Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke yeah, okay. Dumb yeah, dude, yeah, Snickers yeah, bars. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And, and hope, but I feel like more than ever right now, we have a real gap between the trainee level, fresh out of school, and the productive developer. And, and I see more and more companies simply unwilling to bridge that gap. I hire senior folks only. You know, there just sort of seems to be a mindset where there's just not a lot of energy for
3: unfortunately this developer. I find them hiring junior people only. Really? Way too often, and then hire and a whole bunch of junior people and say, "Well, they're programmers. They ought to be able to do this." Yeah, yeah. a uh, programmer. And, you know, it's out of school. It's, Programmers yeah. don't know enough to build a system, right? so they make a terrible mess of things, yeah. and maybe they manage to get something to work, but it can't be maintained, and the, the company is going, oh, what the heck happened here? Why can't I add new features? How come it's breaking all the time? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, I've got a bunch of you know, young, young apprentices trying to build a system. No master. Well, no there's master. also no the whole management. problem
2: of people misrepresenting their skill set.
3: Yes, and how do we deal
2: with that? And how do you deal with that? So,
3: one of the things I'm interested in. Since the internet came out, the bullshit detection (laughs) has been easier to do. One of the the models I'm interested in is a guild model, uh, where you can create a A trusted source, Uh, you go to the guild and say, okay, guild, I'm interested in hiring that guy over there. Right. And what do you know about him? And the guild says, ah, yes, he's a member in good standing, and these are his accomplishments, and these are who he's worked for, and and we've looked at his code, and we like his code, and and so forth. Um, I think that kind of model might be useful uh, if we could assemble guilds.
0: Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that... Really,
3: I don't like certification.
0: Yeah, no, neither do I. Well, certification, certification makes sense if there's an authority backing it that requires real accreditation. I mean, we we talk about the medical boards or the the bar. Yeah, then you
3: trust it to a certain extent. But they're also
0: someone has passed their medical boards. Okay, okay. they've got certain skills. But I think you know the guy who passed them has some skin in the game right? Oh, yeah. If, you, right. if you've passed the bar, now oh, yeah. the bar is responsible for that lawyer. Yeah. Well, and
3: a doctor, right? Doctor
0: goes... Yeah, he's going to go uh, operate
2: he, on somebody. He better well, know Well, he's, he's got to go through his
3: internship. <laughs> right. He's got to go through his residency. Yeah. All of his instructors are, you know, signing on the line saying, yes, yeah. this person really has learned. By the time he gets out and can practice, there's a whole train of trust, a chain of trust that's been developed. Yeah, right. right. And, sure. and proof of competence. And
0: so, but the point being, if and when a malpractice suit shows up, it's not just him. Exactly right. Yeah, you know? It's the and other sure. guys. Who- sure. So now we get into and an this- interesting problem. If we're going to create an association for masters of software ooh, development, ooh. we need an association to be liable yeah. for their yes. members. Yes. Personal responsibility about, again. Well, look at this. What software quality is there, Right. Look at the end user license agreement. What does it say more, more than anything? Then, if this software breaks, tough. It's your fault.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. We assume no liability
0: right. for any losses incurred by you using our product.
2: And the software developer, if he fails, uh, if he ruins a project, he gets fired, goes to another company. If the doctor kills somebody on the table, he's got a bigger problem,
3: he doesn't is. he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, the developer who ruins the project usually gets promoted to manager, so he can do oh, it anymore. Right. The Dilbert principle, yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 or goes to you know <laughs> goes to another company, so he right. can go somewhere off we can some do more. the yeah, least yeah. amount of damage.
2: Well, the
0: really talented one actually left about a month before we figured out the project was ruined. Yeah,
3: <laughs> well, that yes, the one who was too fearful to take control if or he knew what was going wrong, smart enough right. to see yeah. the writing on the wall. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's funny how that sort of encapsulates, that whole conversation encapsulates, I think, a lot of shows we're going to do going forward in the next 500.
2: Yeah, in terms of how our industry is changing and how we really have to get some uh, more quality controls. We've, we've started, but uh, really there isn't any accountability for stuff that's gone bad. Yeah, you know, in in civil engineering, they talk about the iron ring when when a
0: big dome collapsed, and and the guys took the steel from that and made rings and said like never again. Right. And I don't know if we've ever had our iron ring moment in computing. Although I, you know, I I almost hope that Y two K would have been that, but it wasn't. <laughs> we yeah. We got away with that one, but we yeah. we need to to take our industry seriously and mature. Hey, Carl and Richard, congratulations on five
1: hundred shows. Bill Wagner calling from the Midwest, and I just have to say, the shows that involve bourbon were always the best. You should do that with all your shows, is send a bottle of bourbon to your guests, or they get on the air. I think that would liven up the next 500 shows. Hey, Carl, it's Scott Hampleman. How's it going? I just wanted to congratulate you on 500 shows. Only at uh, 186 now, but I'm coming up fast. Another 314, and know. Well, you'll probably be on a thousand things by right then, but an amazing accomplishment I wish you all the best you're a friend you're a business partner and uh, you're a great guy and and i really actually a very good singer as well you're a a joker you're a smoker you're a midnight joker and I think uh, you know here's to uh, 500 more thanks a lot for all your help and everything you do for me congratulations hey Chuck and Robert Jim Duffy here love your show listen to it all the time huh hold on who Chris and Randy no Carl and Richard oh hey hey I think I know these guys so 500 shows, huh? What do you want—a cookie or something? I ate the last nut butter, but I think we have some seven-year-old Twinkies around the Techno Technologies offices. Yep, here's a box of them right here, behind the moon Pies, next to an unopened Windows 95 box. Expiration date says August 2002. I'm not sure if that's for the Twinkies or Windows 95. Either way, they should be fine. If your show can last seven years, then I'm sure these Twinkies have just as much staying power. Again, congratulations on hitting the 500 show milestone. That's great. Here's to another 13 or 14 shows. You guys are
4: great. You both work. Drive 200 miles Fantastic. Hey, Carl, I can't talk for long, but I just want to wish you and Richard a congratulations. Where's on my the, uh, donut? You're probably sitting on it, Mom. Um, so anyway, put your seatbelt back on.
5: I gotta find my
4: donut. Sorry about this, Carl. i got to get my mother back to the hospital before her medication wears off. I think i got 15 minutes. It's the police! It is not the police! Put your clothes back on! I've got to moan them! Carl, I'll call you back. Got my hands full here. Mom! you are got to leave an ass mark on that window!
2: Well, this next clip uh, illustrates some of the challenges that we face today. And that we're going to face going uh, forward in the future. This was from, uh, the, the software complexity panel at DevLink in 2009. Uh, and the, the question was put to the panel, which was Josh Holmes, Jim Holmes, Kathleen Dollard, and Billy Hollis. Is software development getting too complex? Is it too complex? Has it become too complex? And what do you think about that? Let's roll this clip.
6: Hey guys, Jason Clark. Um, I think we, you guys have been discussing and the questions have been asked, seem to be ignoring the biggest problem. That's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to seem to want to talk about. And that is the developers themselves. Um, It seems that, to me, like a lot of the problem with complexity has a lot to do with our ego. That we... Amen. We revel in complexity. We want to be seen as the geek uh, or the nerd that can figure out the really tough problem. And when people ask us how we do things, we don't tell them simple answers. We try to confuse them. We try to make it look like we're so smart. Until we can get over that mindset of we have to be smarter than you and we have to appear like everything's way harder than it is, it's never going to get simple. We have to simplify it first in our minds and quit acting like we have to be the all-knowing gods of of technology and development. And until that happens, software software development is only going to get more and more complex.
2: Preach on. Preach on.
6: I'm
2: going to buy that guy a beer later. Like that? Seriously. Yeah. I have been saying on the show for so many years that if you're going to be a good software developer, you need to kill your ego. Because, listen. Yeah, go ahead. Because that means that you're not new to when you are wrong about something, which will kill you. And you're not new to, hey, this technology might be better than what you're working on, which could also kill you. And it's also, it just encourages the the, my framework is better than your framework mindset, which is just dumb. Something else that's also going to kill you is you're very conceited about
0: where you've been and you're unwilling to change. So the new tools, new practices, you know, hopefully you aren't writing code the same way now that you were five
2: years ago. The world's changed. And if you can't get that ego out of the way, you're hosed. Especially with the speed at which things are learned and, and shared today. And
0: so so I'll actually, I'll disagree. Uh, I don't think that we need to kill the ego. I think we need to be very proud. But I think we're proud of the wrong things. I think we're proud of the complex problems that we're solving in a complex way. And, and we're very we're very uh, excited about the, uh, uh, you know, the fact that we're the only ones who can figure this out. I want to be very proud of the fact that I'm able to take... What people thought of as a complex problem, and boil it down to something that everybody and everybody can understand, and anybody and everybody can use my application. That's what I want to be proud of, and I don't want to. I, you know, I, the problem is we are
2: proud of the wrong things. But I yeah. think with without ego, we're not driven to move on to that to to, to that simple solution. Uh, listen, pride and ego to me are two different things. I, uh, maybe, maybe a stubborn ego is better than saying "kill your ego, kill your stubborn ego." Be open. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. you should absolutely be proud. I mean, we everybody in this room needs to be proud of what they do. I agree.
7: That's what I'll
2: say. All right, next question.
7: Hi, my name is Mike Birch, and um, I guess I don't have so much a question as an observation. Uh, when I got out of the Navy back in 1968, my first job. Uh, that I got was as a draftsman, and I spent the next 20 years perfecting my craft. And this was back in the days when you did drafting ink on mylar, ink on linen. Well, in the 80s, CAD came on the scene. And so what the company that I was with at the time did is they brought in these CAD systems and trained us draftsmen as CAD operators, and it was fantastic. It worked out very well. But then through the process of attrition, these guys that had been draftsmen who were trained as CAD operators, either retired or they moved on to other companies, well, then our company started hiring these CAD technicians that were being cranked out by these uh, local community colleges. And we found out very quickly that it was becoming problematic, because while these guys were good technicians, they knew the hardware and software in and out. They had no concepts of drafting. They were just trained to be technician monkeys, basically. My concern is with software and the directions it's taking, we're training software monkeys. Whereas you have uh, guys like me that got into programming back in the early 80s, um, you know, programming for c learning good, solid, basic programming um, and and building our craft and our skills, you know, and then we start adopting these new tools. It's a great thing. Well, what happens as through attrition, we start retiring or moving on to other companies. And then the uh, industry starts bringing on these young people that don't know anything other than, well, I can use this tool, but I don't know why it does what it does or what we would do if it stopped working and, and I actually had to write code myself. I mean, what's going to happen?
6: That's something that's near and dear to me. I,
0: I think as an industry, at
6: mentoring and apprenticeship, we suck.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yes, we do. And so, time and time again, I've had to work with young people that have gotten put on my team and it's like, oh, I don't see a problem
6: with this method that is 500 lines long and cyclomatic complexity of 150. Oh, yeah, you know, like eight nested if statements? That's cool.
2: Yeah, it's interesting what Jim Holmes was saying there. It's almost exactly what we were talking about with Uncle Bob.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and months months later, the same sort of problems. Right. Uh, I, you know what I really liked about that panel discussion at DevLink was the audience took over. Oh, yeah. Halfway through, you know, we were just talking amongst the panelists, and we asked for questions, and boom, there was this huge long line and really insightful questions and criticism.
2: Well, and if you think about it, I mean, a lot of the audience were the other speakers and the other people who have been thinking about software development very seriously. You know, we could have had a panel of 100 up there. And the CAD
0: guy was interesting to me because uh, I call it the, the immigrant versus native problem. If mm-hmm. you remember the way before, you approach problems very differently than folks that have only ever known the new way. So the guys who were draftsmen on paper first, and then became CAD operators, approached CAD differently than someone who's only ever known CAD.
6: Yeah.
1: Hey, Richard and Carl, this is Steve Forte, just wishing you a happy 500th episode. Congratulations. I just want to ask you, how many times are going on there in the Soviet Union? 11. Hey, Carl and Richard, it's Brian Noyes. Congratulations on being pentacenturions with the 500th show. Hard to believe you've been around that long. Or me, for that matter. You guys take care.
8: Richard, Carl, Tim Huckabee here. I just wanted to call to congratulate you guys on the 500th show. I gotta tell you, that is just amazing. Hello. Damn it, Dave, I'm on the phone. Sorry, guys. Letterman's in my hotel suite partying with his buddies. Dave, I'm congratulating the DNR boys on the 500th show. 500 shows. Isn't that great? They can't all be great, you know. You do you do that many shows.
5: You do that many shows. Some are gonna some are gonna suck. Some are gonna yeah. eat.
6: Some are gonna blow.
8: Dave, I know DNR is your favorite internet talk show, but come on, you can't even pretend to understand what they're talking about.
6: WWW, the website, where you dial up on your computer, where you, you log on to the, uh, the uh, uh, internet. See what I mean?
8: Get off the phone, Dave, I want to do this right. Uh, the category: Top 10 Signs You're a Dumb Guy. Come on, you're ruining this. Get off the phone. Considering all the press you've got lately, do you really want the millions of the DNR followers to hear you screwing around like this?
7: You know, I don't care what
0: people say. To me, Cher is one hot lady.
8: This is what I mean. Come on, Dave, knock it off.
0: According to this survey, the average woman has
6: sex 50 times a year. 45 of those times with a Kennedy.
8: For God's sakes, Dave, your publicist is going to kill you. Beat me up! I'm a little newt, I'm a weasel, hurt me! My god, now you've ruined it for Carl and Richard, Dave. I hope you're happy. Well, Richard, Carl, congratulations, guys. You truly are pillars of .NET community. I hope you plan a big celebration event. Enema time! That's it, you ruined it, Dave.
2: Man, this hotel room is real breezy. (laughs) It's old, we're in the Figueroa Hotel here in Los Angeles at the PDC. And uh, it sounds like there's a city out there uh, because it's a very old hotel. Well, old for California, it's probably about a sure. hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And the I don't think the glass is the glass in the window has been changed since 1944. Nice, yeah. So it's very thin. So this next clip, Richard, is uh, from Miguel Castro's top ten things that annoy Miguel Castro, a show that we did in the last 100 shows. And uh, this is his rant against CSS zealotry.
5: So anyway, num- number nine on my list, that the things that annoy me are CSS zealots.
6: Uh-oh. There. Yeah. There,
5: I've said it. I've said it, plain <laughs> and simple. CSS zealots. Now, I want to stress the word zealot here. Okay, yeah. I got absolutely nothing against CSS. It's an unbelievable technology. It works like a charm. It's you beautiful. It. Yeah. And you I use it. I totally use it. Now, a CSS is kind of like a. I, I can I can say about CSS the same thing I say about about Code Rush, a product that that both me and you guys are very close to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Code Rush from Dev Express. I call it. I say that it's like the human brain. You know, most people use no more than about fifteen percent of it. Right. Right. And, and CSS is really the same thing. It can do an unbelievable amount of things. Um, but most of us are not, not using it to its full capacity. And the reason is very simple. It's got a very large learning curve.
2: It's complex, yeah.
5: It's very complex. Um, and what I find from the CSS zealot community, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to mention a single name in this show, okay? I'm going to let people use their imagination out there because ev- everybody out there that's listening knows a CSS zealot in their life. Oh, yeah. I know a couple of them. Here in Jersey.
8: No. So,
5: <laughs> <laughs> so and they and they're listening right now. So I
8: the don't problem that I believe it. <laughs> the I've
5: problem seen that them. I have yeah, that's right. Where they walk the streets. The the problem that I have with CSS zealots is the the the, the preaching of CSS replacing everything HTML, specifically tables. We're talking about tables here. Because tables are a wonderful thing and they're not antiquated and they're not obsolete and they shouldn't and they should be used. They should be used properly. Um, and I I see I have conversations with people that consider themselves diehard web developers and they uh they're very much of that you know div tag all the way down uh your website should consist of two things. Div tags on your markup and a CSS file and that's it. Yeah. And the truth, the truth is, is that if that's what you're, you know, that 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 may be a realistic scenario in in the traditional HTML web developer, but not in the ASP.NET developer. Not in my humble opinion. ASP.NET offers way too many tools to make our life easier, and we do not need to contradict that by making it difficult um, and 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 making everything. 100 percent css related uh now that being said if you are one of those css gurus out there that can dish out applications in a 100 percent css oriented way th- did i just coin a new term css orientation i like think that, you huh? may have <laughs> you know if, if you are one of those people then more power to you whatever works the whole point of this of this show of what i'm doing here is to make sure that i express my objectivity um but <laughs> most, most, well, most people <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> like, did nah. you say
0: objectivity <laughs>
5: <laughs> Tol- tolerance? How about let's see, we use the word tolerance? Nah, nah, I think you're,
0: nah. you're expressing your bias is what you're doing. Uh,
5: I, I'm, am tr- not. I try not to be biased one way or another because programming. I mean, I, I you know, once again, I can't take credit for what somebody else said. I got a friend of mine that I worked with a long time ago, and he once made the comment to me that programming is a very personal art, and it really, really is. It's very, very easy to offend a developer by telling them the way they're doing something sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh and and it the problem is that we're offending a lot of people out there and it's it, it's it's easier to offend than not to sometimes. Um
2: what was that line from uh from um what was it, gold member or something like that, where Austin Powers says, I only ha- I only hate two kinds of people, those who are intolerant against others and the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch. I'm i t- I'm intolerant of intolerance.
5: Well, that, you know, that, that explains Stephen Forte walking around Amsterdam saying, I hate the Dutch.
2: <laughs> now I that, guess he I I I, was... was mimicking
5: Elfcombe Powers, all I right. I think that was
2: Huckabee, actually, but. And the Dutch. Nice. Nice. We like the Dutch. We like the Dutch. They we love, love the Dutch. They invite us to their show every year. We just don't like uh, uh, cow udder sausages. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What do you call them? frickendell frickendell mm-hmm. Those frickendells. <laughs> it's like lower lower quality than a hot dog. I, I really don't have much more to say. Miguel made his point. Yeah, he,
9: we, we
2: really can't add to that.
9: Hey, Richard and Carl. This is David Christensen from Glasgow, Scotland calling. Uh, congratulations on reaching Show 500. Keep up the great work. I listen to them every day. See you soon. Bye-bye.
4: 150 miles. Okay, guys, I'm back. I'm right. going to try and get this in before we have another episode. Who are you talking to? It's Carl and Richard, Mom. My bunion hurts! Pads are in your suitcase where you packed them this morning. So anyway, Carl, Richard, I just want to say... It's the police! Mom, it is not the police! <laughs> oh, crap! It is the police! Don't worry, Sonny! That mother knows how to take care of these mounties! <laughs> Holy shit, Mom! Put that gun away! <laughs> Holy, <Jesus. God. laughs> Holy shit! God it, Calling you back, guys!
2: You know, one of the things I love about this show is every once in a while, I mean, we talk to a lot of smart people, but yeah. not everybody can. You know, some people have the smarts in their head and can't really explain it all that well. Mm-hmm. I actually fall into that category. I, th- I think that what I, what I know is much more than uh, actually comes out my mouth. I, I, I tend to think, I tend to have a very short filter between my brain and my mouth, and yes. therefore it's hard sometimes to form the words. But every once in a while, we get somebody who is just eloquent about explaining difficult concepts has no problem, and effortlessly just lays it right down for you. And James Kovacs is one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, he came on the show and talked about uh, dependency inversion, dependency injection, and then inversion of control containers, Mm -hmm. and gave a very concise and eloquent description of them. And to this day, I think it stands the test of time. Let's play that.
9: So really, the fundamentals is... Looking at your software architecture, traditionally we've had very very tightly coupled software architectures where you have one concrete component talking to another. So you've got your service component, your customer service that talks directly to some data access component. And the problem with that is it's very difficult for those two components to vary independently. So if you want to switch to a different database platform or you want to add in logging or auditing or anything else, it's really you have to tear everything apart and put it all back together. Right. So, one of the core concepts came about was the dependency inversion principle, which was popularized by Robert C. Martin. And he states that high level modules should not depend on the low level ones, but they should both depend on abstractions. So, in more concrete terms, rather than having your customer service depend on your data access component, both of them should depend on some interface or abstract base class, so like an I customer repository where the repository is your data access component. So what you've done there is you've essentially decoupled those two components and all the customer service knows about is that it's talking to some i repository. Right. Some I component. So you are actually free at runtime to switch that for something else. Yeah. And this introduces a lot of flexibility into your software.
2: Yep. And that's really what it's all about. As, as changes come up, you just want to make sure that you're ultimately flexible. I think a big mistake that a lot of developers make is trying to predict the future in the architecture session. You know, trying to come up with all the different scenarios that could happen and therefore try to architect for them right up front. Whereas this approach is let's just architect for flexibility so that when something unknown and unseen comes along, we can adapt quickly.
9: You're absolutely right, Carl. That, that's exactly what we're aiming for. Uh, it's all about focusing on uh, high, highly cohesive architectures and loose coupling between components. It's things that we've talked about for years, and this is a way to get to it.
6: So
2: that's dependency inversion. Tell us what dependency injection is.
9: So what dependency injection is, now you have a, through dependency inversion, you have a high-level component depending on an interface. What you want to be able to do is substitute that at runtime. You can use dependency injection to supply a component's dependencies through its constructor. So typically through its constructor, you can also do setter-based. Uh, but typically, so what you do is you'd say new customer service, and one of the first dependencies would be new customer repository.
2: Right, and the dependency is just being any component that is that is uh, accessed during the lifespan of that object.
9: That's Right. So it's just some other component that is used by the piece of software that you're currently working with, in this case, the service.
2: So is it as simple as just supplying those dependencies on the constructor?
9: That's exactly it. The other option that a lot of people use is a service locator. What service locator is, in your customer service, in your constructor, you will go to a walk up to a factory or something and say, hey, create me this dependency of mine. Right. That's definitely another way to do it. The problem with that is you don't get very good testability because all of your dependencies are locked away inside of this service, Uh which makes actually testing the service in isolation of the database and everything else very difficult. It's possible but quite difficult. By having all of your dependencies supplied in your constructor, in your tests, you just supply faked-out versions of them. You can use a mocking framework or you can write them yourself. Uh, just right. have some class that implements that interface and supplies default behavior. But that doesn't actually touch databases, doesn't do log- logging and auditing and things like that. What it allows you to do is unit test components in isolation. Yes. Now, one of the nice things about this is if software is only used in one place, it typically is fairly inflexible because it's only suited for one purpose. As soon as you have to design it to be used in two different places, it becomes much more flexible. The two different places in this case is, in this case, are tests and production code. So you all of a sudden are gaining a lot of flexibility in your design by thinking about, okay, how am I going to test this? So by supply, by supplying all of your dependencies in your constructor, there you have a way of easily testing because you can supply mocks or stubs or your own handcrafted fake objects at test time but then have real versions at construction at in production code.
2: And the other concept of course is inversion of control and inversion of control containers. Now we've talked about this a little bit before on the show but I got the feeling that it was a little bit unclear and I really appreciate the clarity of your 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 brief and very succinct definitions here. So let's define inversion of control.
9: So the way you get to inversion of control containers is you look at, okay, we saw that dependency injection is a good thing. Now you can imagine you've got a chain of dependencies. You've got some UI component that needs to build a service component that needs to get access to a data access component. And each of these things, in turn, have their own dependencies. So as you go up the chain, all of a sudden you have your, you want to create the repository, so you need to supply its dependencies. You need to create service, so you need to supply the repository, any of, any other dependencies. So by the time you hit the UI, the UI has to know about data access components, service components, logging components, auditing components, and that's the wrong place that to be assembling your architecture in your UI. That's what you're trying to get away from. I see. Is having all kinds of logic inside of your UI controls. Sure. So the way you get away from this is you use an inversion of control container, and an inversion of control container is nothing more than a factory for components.
2: Because you have to supply all of the dependencies, you want to start from another container that can create those dependencies and then pass them in. So by the, time you, so the UI is actually the last thing in the chain. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's exactly what
9: it is. It sounds really complicated, but that is what it is. What you do is you walk up to the container and you say, hey, I need an iCustomer service. And it says... It looks in, in its setup and says, oh, an iCustomerService is this customer service class. This customer service class needs an iCustomerRepository, which is the SQL customer repository. It also needs an auditing component. This, And it figures out what all the dependencies are in the chain, constructs them in reverse order, and then supplies you with a fully constructed object at runtime. So it's just a factory for components.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense to me now. And if anybody's ever done any Windows Forms development, where you create, you start from a, from a module, from a sub main, and then you create your form and show it. I mean, that's essentially an inversion of control container, even though you're really not doing a whole lot with with objects. So you might be, but but that's essentially what the the same thing. Instead of just starting with a form.
9: Yeah, that's you're basically you're constructing components at runtime. Inversion control containers provide you with a lot of services over and above object construction, but at a fundamental level, that's it. And a lot of people get, it's like, oh, I can't bring in a third-party component into my application. I can't bring in something as big as, like, Castle Windsor or StructureMap or something like that. The reality is, if you're in a situation where you can't take one of these dependencies, you can build your own inversion of control container in about two dozen lines of code. And uh, I actually walk through that in my article. So if people are curious, they can just go read up on uh, on it in the loosen up article.
0: Okay. And that's a great idea, James. Because most people push back on this as too complex, right?
9: Like honestly, Richard, it's two dozen lines of code. Fundamentally, what do you have? You have a hash table. The hash table has a bunch of interfaces versus concrete types. So in the very simple container that you construct yourself, the, I call it the do-it-yourself container. All you do is, when your application starts up in your sub-main or your public static void main method, if you're doing C-sharp, you just construct all the types, uh, construct all the dependencies, build everything, throw them into this hash table, and then at runtime, you ask for, hey, I need an iCustomer service, and it looks it up in the hash table and passes it back to you. Full-fledged containers can do much more than that and will walk dependency chains for you, but 90% of what they supply, you can write yourself. And it's and really quite forward. And if you understand that, you then can buy into and understand what these other containers are and actually be in a position to evaluate, okay, should I go with Spring.net? Should I go with StructureMap? Should I go with Windsor? Should I go with Unity? Which Inversion of Control container is right for me?
2: Yeah, that might be one of my favorite episodes of the year. I mean, just because in, in terms of what we learned from it.
0: It's such a succinct explanation, too. I mean, it really it really is. ran down why you would do this.
2: And it, it is such a complex technical topic, and just to hear it broken down so eloquently like that was mm-hmm. really, really refreshing.
1: Hi, guys. This is Scott Stanfield calling from Richmond, California. Um, I got a 95 Chevy Blazer my brother-in-law let me have after I wrecked my Toyota Celica. Um, The Blazer's got 170,000 miles, leaks a little oil, and when I put it in reverse, it jumps. When I put it in drive, it jumps forward and goes... "Mm, mm, mm, mm." I'm thinking about junking it and getting a Segway or a Chrysler Fiat 500, which comes out next year. What do you all think? I'll take my question off the air. Hey guys, this is uh, Scott from Vertigo. Um, Congrats on your 500th show, but I did a little bit of looking around. Um, I know you guys are VB programmers, so you probably started off by one... Um, so let's skip 500 besides that's a D in Roman numerals which is a failing grade so it's probably your 501st show and that's not much better because that's a HTTP status code for not implemented it's also the lowest possible credit score you can get 501 is also the sum of the first 18 prime numbers and after looking at your first 18 speakers Hanselman, Hollis, myself, Yuval, Rocky, Shell I'm surprised you guys made it this far take care
10: Dear Carl and Richard, this is Sahil Malik, uh, wishing you congratulations on your 500th show on the behalf of all SharePoint IT ogres and SharePoint developer, here. I wish you a successful run going forward. Uh, take care, and uh, see you at around
2: Hey, do you remember Norway? Yeah, I do. The NDC? We had such a good time there. Man, it, the Norwegians know how to laugh, don't they? Oh, they do. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least they did in our session, because there was no nutritional content in there whatsoever. We uh, interviewed uh, Scott Hanselman and Phil Hack, and we, you know, it like typical Hanselman, we we sort of went all over the place. We did. Yeah. We we started with Project Natal, I think, which is what we're going to hear about here. Well, it's, it was all about Phil in the end, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Phil sort of, well... He made interesting contributions. He made interesting contributions, let's put it that way, yeah. The coolest thing I have seen uh, across my uh, mail server, listservs, and Twitter accounts mm-hmm. has been Project Natal. Natal. Have you seen this? Project Natal? Make some noise if you have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, only a few of you. <laughs> yeah. So, no, no uh, Project Natal,
2: Norway. tell us, uh, first of all, it's basically an Xbox add-on that's coming soon where there's no controller. You just... Move around and it figures out what you're doing. When did video games become forms of exercise? This is not right. This is the We Fit. I think. <laughs> this is about me
0: sitting down and doing nothing, just yeah. twitching my thumbs.
2: I like people who get up uh, and spend hours <laughs> trashing the house looking for the remote. So because I they gotta, don't want to so go I, to the TV So I, so I got
11: a We Fit, right? And I'm like, all right, I'm tell the wife, all right, we're gonna get a Wii Fit. Now we'll be in- incentivized to exercise, right? There you yeah. Go. And I didn't realize that it was the stupidest thing I'd ever done <laughs> until, until I found myself in my living room. Going like this, and I'm looking at a picture of me running. Look, it's just like we're running. And then I'm like, "Why am I not running? Right now? I could actually go outside and run. You'll actually see and something." It wouldn't have cost fresh me anything. Year. Which is kind of the thing about Natal, right? It's like, yeah. look, it's like we're bowling,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, we, we, could,
11: we could just we could go bowling, bowling. too. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So, have, what have you heard about Project Natal?
11: So, uh, you know, so to be clear, I work for Microsoft, but they don't talk to me. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: and they're smart not to talk they're to you actually because to to, they know <laughs> you talk to everyone else. But I'll come to
11: Norway and tell everyone about That's it. That's right. So what I know is this: I know that uh, there's this guy named Johnny Chung Lee, yeah, who is a researcher at Microsoft. And years and years and years ago, he's on the web. You can search for this guy. He did this cool thing with the Wii remote, where he took a Wii remote, which is actually a, a sensor, not an emitter. It's not a remote control; as it is a receiver. He took this thing that you usually point at the TV, and he put it up on uh, the television set pointing at him, and then he had this donut-shaped LED kind of giant flashlight that pointed at himself, and he put shiny stickers on his fingers so he could move the reference point. So those
2: became the lights that the the little bar emits. So Johnny
11: is a guy who's big on revolutionizing human-computer interaction. And this guy, I mean, if you're a real true geek, you've seen these videos on YouTube, and you know this guy's a god, right? (laughs) So imagine 150 people just like him. Yeah, PhDs and stuff, all hidden somewhere at Microsoft in an mm. undisclosed location, yeah. maybe in a in some kind of a bunker somewhere. Maybe a bunker of some kind. Bunker, maybe. Maybe yeah. a bunker. Possibly a bunker. And <laughs> a, uh, maybe a bunker. It's true. Hopefully, that's not a dirty word in Norwegian. We'll <laughs> find out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> anyway, bunker. That's yeah. Like, no, wow. yeah. <laughs> <Bing>. <laughs> so then
11: <laughs> we'll get to Bing. Right. We'll yeah. get to Bing uh, later. So so. Johnny is brilliant and he was doing this stuff like by himself in his garage and yeah. it was amazing. So then he joins Microsoft and no one tells me what this guy's working on. He's just, just one he, he just disappeared right. too for a and, while. And I'm not saying Johnny like invented Natal, I'm saying that there are like this amazing, awesome guy, like get it in your mind how big this guy is. Right. And then imagine hundred and fifty other dudes like that with like extra degrees. Just, hey, oh look, okay. I'm a PhD <laughs> again. Oh, it's in my pocket. <laughs> Lots of them. And they're coming up with this thing. And it's basically multiple cameras, I guess, that sits on your uh, – yeah. in front of your TV there. And it's right. not just a camera that sees you. It is yeah, a like, bunch of cop- – It's a bunch of – like you know, IR camera, see how hot you are and see how far away you are. There's a depth –
2: uh, and it can recognize between you and your aunt and your sister and, right. and everything. There's so facial
11: recognition, So somebody,
2: if your mother walks through, it will recognize her as someone not you and exactly. not take its tracking off of you. Right.
11: And there's and, and the thing I think is significant is that there's skeletal the skeletal recognition. So it's like putting what? those. There's like putting. You know, you could put dots on yourself, right? And do motion capture, yeah. right? So I think the idea is that they know that you're probably human shaped. Right? There's a non- some of
2: us are. Some of us aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So
11: there's, but there's a very high probability. Some of us more resemble a pear Indeed. or a <laughs> piece of fruit. Of yeah. the, the assumption is, though, that you are largely <laughs> shaped like a human. So you go up and you assert your humanness. You go, hey, it's me. I'm a human. human you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And then they, then they can start tracking you. So they figure, I think you go like this, and you like calibrate okay. or something. I don't know. Maybe. All I'm right. making this up. And uh, and then as you go, they can actually and then there's a depth perception aspect of things, so they can see you going this way and you see you going that way. And then once they've started tracking you, you can do you can play handball, you can bowl, or whatever. You can drive a car like this, and they're figuring
2: it all out in real time. Yeah, I was talking with Mark Miller, who happens to live in my town now, which is awesome. In a terrifying sort of way. Yeah. In a terrifying sort of way. And uh, he's, he's like, you know, I saw the video and I, I, I just can't think of anything I'd ra- rather not do than change a tire like this.
4: <laughs> and holding
2: up your right, hands. That's like, the demo that they showed. It's the like, like, oh, yeah, this, like guy's,
11: this guy's driving a car. And, oh, I'm having fun. I'm driving a yeah, car. I'm yeah, driving a the car. And then suddenly it. it's like, okay, dad, he's I'll in pull the him into the pit stop. Yeah. And now you With get a to smile pretend. on his face, he's right. going, he's b- pretending to change tires. But the other thing is, I'm pretending to pump gas. If you're holding your arms
2: out driving something, if you're holding your arms out driving something, your arms tend to get tired because you're not holding on to anything. Whereas if you've got a controller, you're sort of re- If you're driving a car, oh, you're a resting point. them on the steering yeah. wheel. So, you know, this, is, this thing is more of an assault on the Wii Fit than, than we might think. I, uh, I
11: think it's going to be cool. I don't know I what they're going to so do too. with it, but at the same time, as much as I like the idea of the Wii, it has ultimately become a $250 tennis simulator. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, tell me, tennis does anyone here play anything other than tennis on the Wii? Uh, you know, tennis the only the thing that's fun about the Wii is showing it to people who haven't seen the Wii. Right.
0: <laughs> it just sits at my house so I can show it to oh, relatives man. when
11: they come over the first time and then watch yeah. their faces and then it's over. Some but of
0: the
2: games are pretty pretty horrible.
0: I, I, I love the fact that if you get when you get really good with tennis you figure out how little movement you actually need to make. Oh yeah. At this oh, yeah, point yeah,
2: it's just yeah, like yeah. you sit on the couch and <laughs> go
0: <"Pshh."> <laughs> 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 How are you um, doing that? You know like oh yeah. It really knows what you're doing, right?
2: You make yeah. sure
11: you give it a good backhand. No it does No yeah, it doesn't. it doesn't. The the
9: boxing game, you know you can go tired of, just yeah. shake it right Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just shake right. it. Yeah, we're boxing.
2: <laughs> I play. I play <laughs> yeah. uh, tennis with my seven-year-old. Tiny old. fists. My <laughs> seven-year-old. You know, in tennis, how you get a certain spin on it or something, and it goes really fast. It goes, <laughs> like you can see, like the the jet speed yeah, coming yeah. up, jet stream coming up behind it. So she, I'm just going like this, and it's doing it. And she's like, Dad. Don't do that! It's not fair. I'm like, I'm trying not to. I'm going really slow, and it's going. Peow, 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 peow. I'm trying
11: to let you her see, the, win. The, the Wii has got the Wii Motion Plus now, which yeah. is an extra gyroscope
2: that's supposed to make it really care what you're doing. All right, so I want to get back to Natal because the All first right. time we heard about this, the the RD Alias, which is in a mailing list that we uh, that we belong to, um, was buzzing with people who were having ideas of business applications. That you could use this for. Hmm. Well, what
11: business it, could you possibly? So, do? But it immediately goes to the <laughs> minority report interface. If you right? could predict crime ah, ahead yeah, of time, then that uh, you could potentially. <laughs> You could, you could go no, find the crime. Maybe in, uh,
0: yeah. just,
11: just a well, thought. Just an there's,
1: idea. There's, there's maybe. always that, that most early adopter of all, all technology, right? Yeah. yeah. The porn
0: industry? Is yeah, that okay. where you're going?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, this is what you, you go to to porn, in porn, right? right? This is where you. Yeah.
2: That's probably
1: where. Well, you
11: know, Carl.
2: That goes,
11: goes beyond <laughs> porn,
2: as a matter of fact. Yeah. Bunker! So, <laughs> so, so I also saw that Hitachi Bing. has a TV remote that's a gesture based. Remote, and we were watching a, right. a video of this. And it's sort of like using the iPod, it, it, you know, where you have the circular controllers, um, you, and sort of like the carousel that you have in WPF to select channels, where you see videos, uh, you know, of video of what's on the channel, and you just do wave your hand to the left and to the right, and then you pick one by going forward. Hmm. Just that's just like a simple little interface, but I mean, so if you apply those kinds of gestures. To business applications, I'm sure. Well, I've got four monitors. I would love to be able to, in all seriousness. Is anyone taking me seriously here? No one's taking yeah. me
11: seriously. I'd love to be able to go and... <laughs> what do you guys think? Business
2: applications for this? Name one. Name I, one. I, I I'm saying the That's only business the
11: application I can think of is moving my window from there to there.
2: Yeah.
11: <laughs> but yeah. I would love to yeah. do that. Type, 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 mouse, mouse, mouse.
2: I, I think you guys are lacking in imagination, just like me right. at the moment. Yeah. How,
11: da, 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 da. Carriage return, line feet. Yeah.
8: <laughs> the typewriter. We can yeah. replicate the typewriter. Look at this. All this technology. you got to get the power little. of the Pentium processor. <laughs> <laughs>
11: bong, 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 bong. And it goes <laughs> bing when you do that. And like. Bing. Yep. And just, a line just feed. the thought, you know. I yeah. put,
0: but I, I got one of those HP Touch Marts and put it in the kitchen. Right. And. The family uses it constantly, but I watch the kids actually not putting Packard notes Bell on it, though. taking pictures, and they use the machine. It's a steadily yeah. used machine. What it's do they use the it for? Recipes? They they use it to make notes about what they want in the ki- in the fridge that's not there already. Really? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the girls are keeping their you know where their babysitting schedule and so forth. They, what, they wouldn't you rather it?
11: have it built into
2: the fridge itself?
0: No, I don't think it's that actually connected with the fridge. It's really right beside the fridge. You can't
2: really sit down in front of the fridge and go to work. You know? it's like,
1: <laughs> speak I don't know, for although yourself, I've tried. I, I've had days like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a year like that once, come to think of it. <laughs>
2: That was just too much fun. We were,
0: yeah, you know, you, you just had a clip there, but all we did was laugh through that that whole whole hour.
2: That whole hour was just nonstop laughter. Hanselman is a really, really bright guy. And very, very funny. Very funny. I think he's far more serious on his own show than he is in person. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he gets silly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we, we, we have, we have fun. We learn a few things along the way. I think that's always been the way it's uh, been with dot net rocks. You know, we don't want to overwhelm you with, uh, Lots and lots of technical stuff all at the same time. You like to have fun.
1: Holy
5: crap in my hat, 500. Has it really been a
10: 500? Has it
5: really 500 shows? Oh, that is just smurfy. Where has Kirk Webb been? Probably a monastery someplace contemplating his own messy, dressy existence. Congratulations, Carl, Richard, and the rest of the Rocks gang for the best 500 shows since The sentence. Free to bet. Hey there, .NET Rocks. We were calling from Portland, Oregon, wishing you a happy 500. That's halfway to 1,000. So we're waiting for the big stuff. You guys rock. Take
1: care.
5: Yeah, this is Baskin Topkins from Minneapolis. Um, just wanted to connect with you on your 500 record. Um, just great job with the VNR. So keep, keep it going. Thanks.
1: Bye.
0: And that, I guess, kind of brings us to our next clip because... Uh, Sahil Malik is one of those very dry wits, and he knows his way around SharePoint extremely well. And uh, well, you, I guess you hear it in the clip. We kind of lost it with yeah. him.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and hysterically funny. But in you know the funniest things are the truest things usually. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so we we caught up with uh, Sahil at NDC at the Norwegian Developers Conference, the right. same show that we just uh, played a clip from. Uh, and we were talking about SharePoint administration and some of the challenges, especially around the IT uh, setup that the developer has to go through. Let's play that clip.
10: You have to define roles within your IT teams. Uh, and this is important for any single project, but in the case of SharePoint, it's even more important. And and the specific reason is that in a typical IT project, you have developer fairies and infra- infrastructure ogres. <laughs> and- <laughs> I've met those guys. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and they are, uh, you know. uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Developer fairies, infrastructure ogres. Yeah, and I'm going to get hate mail. Uh, And and there there is generally a turf war between them. Right. But in the case of SharePoint, the turf war is accentuated. Because, especially when you're not familiar with the platform, because there's so much that you can do with SharePoint out of the box through the browser. So the infrastructure guys will obviously ask, well, I don't need to give developers access to production at all. Is that the right solution? And, and that's, from an IT perspective, absolutely the mindset I want to
0: be in. You stay right. off the, the production machine. Correct. Use your, your, uh, your QA machines and
10: tell me when you want to migrate up. Correct. But then what it boils down to is what does the definition of staying off mean? Uh, can I not even use the production application at all? Well, maybe it, it depends on the situation. But for the most part, uh, you know, it makes sense to limit farm administration access to central administration and the shared service provider and the physical access to servers should be limited to the deployment or the infrastructure teams. But developers should be able to access the application sometimes. Now, I understand it. you know, let's say you've got sensitive data, and that may not be a possibility. But when you can create a list using point and click, uh, which will take you 20 seconds, doing the same through a feature is going to take you substantially longer. What was the thing you said in your talk, Richard, um, about you don't want to give, the, the
2: IT people never want to give developers access to the production machines, but you should give them access to the logs at least.
0: Yeah, well, you need you want to have access to the sort of truth that happened on that machine. So logs, I certainly believe in having access to them. Just not accessing the log directly off the production server, but backing those logs up onto other machines that they can then read from them. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you stand on
10: that. Well, absolutely. They should be able to. That's how you would diagnose things in production. Right. But SharePoint sometimes logs in the log files, and sometimes it logs stuff in the event log. Right. And then uh, event log is a little bit harder that somebody has to... Send. Well, I guess you could build a process to export those as well. Yeah. Or you could just build into your SharePoint application, eventing, putting it in a log you have access to. Right. A custom log, absolutely. Right. but then, But then you have the situation of, should a developer not even be allowed to activate a feature on a site collection? And I think that's taking things a little too far. Interesting.
2: Well, what happened to the staging area? You know, what happened to our tester, testing right. and staging area versus production? I mean, do, we, do you still, is that a possibility in SharePoint development? Or do you find that
10: most people are just editing, developing right on the production machines? Well, uh, the, in, in projects that are going to succeed in the long run, they would have those environments. Uh, so they yeah. would have a development environment. They would have an integration, staging, and a production environment like right. any other project.
2: So then, it's not an issue, really. You have you have your development and staging
10: environment, and when that works, then you ship it off to the production. Exactly. Now, this is one of the things that you have to be slightly careful about. That when you have these environments, you're deploying stuff between these environments through features and solutions, rather solutions features packaged as solutions. Okay. Uh, But. This is where you have to be a little bit careful where a lot of point-and-click demos that we've seen of SharePoint and we've been impressed with, some of that stuff you have to be aware of the fine print doesn't package well as a solution. Are you saying like paths are hard-coded in XML files buried somewhere that you have to change when you move Or you can't change. Or you can't change. Right. As an example... Do they um, go into into the database? Well, uh, let's say even if they were in a database, there would be some hackery. But as an example... Uh, if there's an info path form that is using a data source that is tied to a SharePoint list, uh, changing the path of that list between environments, uh, is, is very difficult. There's a hack to do it, but of course, you know, there's no official word from Microsoft on whether or not that is supported. Now, it, shouldn't all paths be exported to the web config file so they can be edited? I mean, right. did, shouldn't SharePoint do that automatically? Right, and and you know, world peace and hunger and loving spouses would be nice too. So, uh, in other words, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> but un- unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of situations where it doesn't do that. And uh. and over time and experience, you learn that there are certain things. Okay, so Microsoft, are you listening? Cause that would be a good idea. I th- I think they are, and in many situations, so? they are making changes to the product, uh, which brings me to my next point: that okay. in SharePoint projects. Prototype first and prototype before you promise.
0: Hmm. Uh, So don't actually say, yeah, we can do that. Go see if you can build it first. Right. Sometimes they don't come out the same way that you you planned.
10: Well, exactly. Uh, And, uh, you know, the developer fairies versus infrastructure ogres, the default answers are different. Developer fairy says, yes, we can do it. Infrastructure ogres say, no, we can't do it. Right. Right. Those are the default answers. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Excel services. Excel mm. services, you sit in a meeting and say, can I do charts? Sure. Can I do the charts that Excel has? Yes. All right. I'd like a 3D pie chart. Great. And you go to your development machine and you try it. Excel services will turn that 3D chart, pie chart into a 2D pie chart. Now, some business users may be sensitive to that. Right. So before you promise it, try it. Okay. You know, you could,
2: you could take a nod from the, um, there's a, a tool in uh, Expression Blend. Where you can sketch. They have these sketch flow things now. And basically, uh, it's a, uh, style sheet that looks like it's hand drawn. So mm-hmm. uh, for, for WPF. Right. So the whole idea is when you're prototyping, the customer is not looking at it and saying, yeah, but we need to make that button a little bluer, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause, you know, you're, you're, proto- you're trying to figure out the flow of the application and they're saying yes, but and putting these fine details on it. Yeah. So maybe that's an idea is when you're, when you're doing a SharePoint uh, prototype, yeah. is to just make a really bad-looking style sheet and use
10: <laughs> <laughs> and use that. Well, so that's you, a good trick. Yeah. So you can
2: always say, "Oh no, this is not even close to the final product."
0: Yeah. just sort of the wireframe look, right? You don't if you make it too pretty, they'll focus on the pretty. Yeah, yep.
2: exactly. Yep, and that's not what they should be focusing on in the prototype.
10: Yeah, well, one of the tendencies I've seen in a in in a lot of SharePoint developers and architects is that. They uh, tend to put the blame on the business user, and even if it's deserved or not. Well, that's because they're dumb, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, t- I'm just kidding. Well, you know that's I'm what totally I like to say. Totally kidding. Don't if,
10: if you make it. an idiot-proof system, they'll just come up with a bigger <laughs> idiot. I think I heard that from you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. They'll find so, a better idiot. Yeah.
2: So, well, I, you know, I mean, I'm kidding, but the, given an input box and mm-hmm. the ability to put whatever they want in there. The user's going to put stuff that you had no idea. Exactly. You had no idea they would ever do that. Exactly. And
0: you just have to plan for that, right? As, yeah, as much as you can, you tolerate the fact that they're going to do stuff you didn't expect. They'll find a bigger idiot. I agree.
2: Well, Richard, how does it feel to have been part of 400 of the 500 .NET Rock shows? I'm, uh, I'm in awe, I think, that we've really done that many. Yeah. I kind of yeah. broke
0: the 50 rule, though, didn't I?
2: Yes, uh, yes, you did. <laughs> Eight times over. You can stay. I can stay. That's nice. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. What do you, you want know, to do for the next 500? I don't know. You know, I think uh, we're, we're still cranking them out here. I mean, we uh, haven't lost any steam whatsoever. No. In fact, I think we might even pick up a couple new shows. And by shows, I mean a couple new titles, new podcasts next year. We've uh, been approached by a few people who uh, want us to publish and produce their shows for them. And hey, you know, if, if you're interested in doing anything like that, give us a call and we'll, we'll talk about it. Sure. Yeah, we certainly are going to do a, probably a little bit more video next year. Yeah. I think and we'll get into video a bit more. And, uh, you know, there'll be a few more Mondays, I'm sure, along the way. There
0: couldn't be a few less.
2: Yeah, that's true. And, of course, we'll be traveling all over the world again, talking to people in every corner of the world. Uh, see what they think about what's going on in this current state of development.
0: Well, my friend, here's to another 500.
2: Here's to another 500, man. The 1,000th show is going to be a party. I don't know what to do now. (laughs) Will we make it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's try for 600 first. Okay. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for all your great thoughts, your great emails. Keep them coming. We want to hear from you. rocks at franklins.net. Send us your email. We'll send you a mug. We promise. Honest.
4: Hey, Carl and Richard. Sorry about before, man. I had a little trouble there. And, and they took my cell phone. And but, but everything's under control now. I just want to say congratulations on 500 shows. Man, that was a real accomplishment. Come on, Miller. Time to see the judge. I need to talk to my attorney. <laughs> The only person you'll be talking to is Bubba, your new cellmate. What about my phone call? (laughs) You're on it now! Hey, Lester. I like your shiny little head. My name is not Lester!